Did you know that geese are terrible at keeping secrets? I'm serious. Geese are terrible at keeping secrets. These guys. In the early 4th century, there was a 10-year-old uh, a boy called Martin. He was from a pagan family. And uh, when he was 10, he had an encounter with Jesus and uh, came to faith. A few years later, when he was 15, he, he joined up to the Roman military to do his, his mandatory service. And apparently, supposedly, was part of an elite cavalry uh, unit that would protect the emperor. Anyway, as, as Martin's faith uh, grew, as he got to know Jesus better, he felt that it was actually right to leave the military. And so apparently said to his commanding officer after a few years, I am a soldier of Christ. I cannot fight. And, and this got Martin in quite a lot of trouble. He was thrown into prison. He was later released. It all worked out okay. But most people even think that Martin was the first conscientious objector in history. So after Martin left the army in the 4th century, he, he gave the rest of his life to seeking God, to telling people about Jesus. He declared his vocation as a monk, and he would go around just telling people who Jesus was. He led his own mum to faith. Isn't that amazing? And, and, and apparently, there were records that miracles would just happen. Wherever Martin went, God would just work miracles through him. There, there, are, there are records of, of people who couldn't walk walking, even of the dead being raised. And Martin's hunger for God just began to grow and grow and grow. And the kingdom was just breaking out uh, uh, anywhere that he went. And, he, and it grew and he started to uh, establish these communities of prayer where people who were hungry for God or people who wanted to be hungry for God could come and, and learn what it was to make Jesus their core desire. And then they were sent out to spread the gospel as well. Many of them to places that had never heard of Jesus before. And this community of people would go out full of the Holy Spirit and the kingdom would just happen around them. Anyway, after um, a few years, as you can imagine, word about Martin got out. And the church, like it sometimes does, wanted to make him a bishop. But Martin, like a lot of the early church heroes, had no interest in this. He wasn't keen on the idea at all. And so legend has it that whilst one day people were out looking for him to make him a bishop, he went and hid in a barn full of geese. And as he got into this barn, sort of the intrusion stirred all the geese up and they started like cackling, shouting, like cackling loudly and gave away his position. And the people that were looking for him found him, took him away and made him a bishop. Geese are terrible at keeping secrets. Thank you. Geese are terrible at keeping secrets. Anyway, after um, Martin died, the church made Martin St. Martin of Tours. And inspired by his hunger for God, the church instituted a 40-day fast, starting on St. Martin's Day, which is November the 11th, for the church to come back to its first love, to realign uh, every Christian, to realign their deepest longings and their hungers with God. And the church later renamed this time Advent, a time of spiritual preparation as the church heads towards the celebration of the birth of Jesus at Christmas. And so all of us, it being the first Sunday of Advent today, all of us have come tonight ready to fast, ready to seek God in a new way with more passion, ready to expect for a greater outpouring of the Spirit in our lives and in our city, ready for the Father to call us into more of life in all of its fullness. All of us have come pumped up for that tonight, right? A couple of us. Probably not. 
you're anything like me, that's, that's not how you enter the season of Advent. And if you're also anything like me, your, your, your longings in Advent can be as much around Christmas cheese boards, hallelujah, and the new Star Wars movie as they can for the God of heaven and earth. And, that, and that's not bad stuff. I wanna, I wanna, I'm going to put a stamp on it right now, Trinity Church, Nottingham. The new Star Wars film and cheese and biscuits are not bad. Particularly the little Hovis biscuits that are like digestive shaped like a... Anyway. And um, they're, not, they're not bad things. Advent is supposed... Hallelujah. Advent is supposed to be a time of joy. Advent is supposed to be a time where we, where, where, where we can spend um, moments with people that love us and that we love. Where we celebrate the, the extraordinary reality that completely motivated by, by God's love, he came into the world. It's supposed to be a time of joy, even for those of us who the season stirs up a little bit of grief in. Even for those of us who approach Christmas with apprehension and pain. Advent is still supposed to be a time of joy. Because as we approach, as we approach Jesus, as we approach God in Advent, we approach the author of joy. The one who is joy, the one who is love, the one who is goodness and peace. Jesus, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so joy is not a bad thing. But if we're honest, many of us get to this point in the year, get to Advent, and we sort of feel like the year is trickling off, right? Like we're sort of winding down, the days are getting short, it's getting a bit colder, it's darker earlier ready for the year to finish. But the church has always understood Advent as the beginning of the year. The church has always seen Advent as the start of the year for the church, the start of the year for Christians. Happy New Year! Happy New Year! Are you ready to make some spiritual resolutions this evening? Advent is the start of our year. We were talking to a friend um, the other day, Tanda, who says that his New Year's resolution is always to join the gym, um, but he never goes, so it just feels like he's tithing to the gym. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? You just have my money. I can't be bothered to cancel my membership. <laughs> Love it. He's got two tithes. <laughs> is this is the start of our year, and the, the, the invitation for us at Advent, the invitation for us is to draw close to God. To be honest about the deepest longings and desires in our life. To ask ourselves a difficult question. Is my deepest longing, are my deepest desires, am I most hungry for God above everything else? And to give ourselves to God again. At the beginning of this year, in Advent. And Advent for the church has always been about two things. It's always been about the fact that, that God has come in the person of Jesus at Christmas. But also for the church, what we're saying at Advent is that this Jesus that we celebrate at Christmas is alive. That he was raised on the third day. That he's here with us right now by his Holy Spirit. And most importantly, he will come again. That's what we're saying at Advent. That is the church's story at Advent. It's not about one thing, but about two things. The Lord has come and he's coming back. I don't know if you've ever... Um, experience someone using uh, one word, but you know full well that it could mean two completely different things. Has anyone had that experience? Just me. Okay, so I have that experience when my, my dear wife Katie says the word, fine. A simple, seemingly harmless word. And usually fine is, um, 
Fine is a reply that Kate will give to me when I ask her how she is when she's in the middle of doing a job, when she's in the middle of doing something. And sometimes I'll shout upstairs if Kate's doing something, Kate, you all right? And she'll say, I'm fine. And she means exactly that. She says, oh, you know what? Keep playing guitar, George. Keep watching your YouTube videos, darling. I'm fine up here. It's a simple answer to a simple question. More often, <laughs> fine is, how do we say this? Fine is, the, fine is the word that Kate uses to express an expectation for me to get off the sofa and flip in, help her. One word, folks, simple word, two very different meanings. And St. Paul, in our passage today, you wonder where I was going with that, has a word just like that. St. Paul has a word just like that in 1 Corinthians 16, 22 that Craig read to us. Right at the end of this letter that Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, he says the simple phrase, come Lord. But the word that Paul is using there is actually an Aramaic word which is, which is called Maranatha. And Maranatha is this beautiful word because, because Maranatha, like the word fine for my dear wife, has two meanings. And both meanings for Maranatha are equally valid. One translation of Aramatha is, is um, come Lord, like we have it in our Bibles that we read earlier this evening. But it can just as easily be translated, the Lord has come. And I look at the word Maranatha, this word that Paul uses at the end of this letter, and I think, isn't that the perfect word for Advent? Because at Advent, we are wanting to say both things. We are wanting to say Jesus has come at Christmas, but we're also saying, Lord, come. Lord, come even right now by your spirit. We thank you that you're resurrecting, that you're here, and we thank you that you're coming again. Like most of us, if we're honest, are probably more, more familiar and more comfortable, at least, with, 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 with that first one, that the Lord has come. You know, we can get our heads around that, can't we? We, we, we? Maybe we grew up in schools and we were parts of nativity plays or maybe trees or lobsters. Big up love, actually. And, you know, and, and we, we're used to that idea. We can get our head around the idea. Okay, yeah, we get it. Christmas, God came, became man and was born in Bethlehem. Jesus was born to Mary and Joseph. And, and he, we even get that he had another name, Emmanuel, God with us. Like, the idea that the Lord has come is pretty familiar to us. But this idea at the core of our faith, just as, just as core to us as Christians, that Jesus is coming back, is a little less comfortable to most of us. Or at least we're a little bit less familiar with it. You know, maybe when we think about Jesus coming back, we get like flashbacks of B-budget apocalypse movies. And we just think it's all a bit weird and, and zaned out. But I want to suggest tonight that, that, that both meanings of this word are absolutely vital if we're to understand what Advent is about. Because if, if Jesus has not come, if the Lord has, has not come, we have no story as Christians. We have no story. And if Jesus is not coming back, the story ends in Bethlehem. But of course, we realize that the Lord has come, and Jesus has been risen. And he's with us right now, and he will come again. And we realize that the truth is that the story is still being written. 
The story doesn't end in Bethlehem. The story doesn't, doesn't, isn't contained to the pages of our Bibles, but God is writing that same story right now, and he's including you and me and our entire city, our entire world in it. If only we'll say yes. This is the story that God is writing. And I want to focus a little bit, just for a couple of minutes, on that second thing about Jesus' return. Because as, as, as we read in 1 Corinthians tonight, without Jesus' resurrection, everything falls apart. Paul even says it so strongly earlier on in our passage. He says, if only for this life do we have hope in Christ, we are of most to be pitied. Think about what he's saying there. That's strong. He's saying if, if your Christian faith is just contained to this life, he's not saying, oh, that's okay, but you haven't quite got it. He's not saying you've missed the mark slightly. He's saying if that's what we believe as Christians, we are most to be pitied if our hope is only set within this life. And, and, and we have to remember that as Paul's writing this, he's writing as a member of the early church, a church that was persecuted. A church, his mates were, were dying. To, to become a Christian at this time almost certainly meant to face suffering. And what is all that worth if Jesus isn't present and he's not coming back? What's it worth? If he has hope for that life only from Paul's perspective, he said, well, what am I hoping in? All I can see is pain and darkness and destruction. All I see is death and persecution. How can I have hope in this life only? But I can endure it all because I know that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead and he's coming back to make all things new. And I pin my hope on that. I pin my hope on that. And all of us today, each one of us, we might not be persecuted in the same way, but all of us have stories. Our own stories of suffering and pain. Our own unanswered questions, our own, our own darkness and sin. And if we look just at that, we have every reason to be hopeless. Every reason. Unless. Unless it's true that Jesus was raised from the dead. Unless it's actually true that we don't gather here today for nothing... But Jesus right now, even as I'm speaking, even to you in your chair right now, is, is as real as your breath. That he wants to meet with you, that he's calling you by name, that he's present with us now by his spirit. And he will come again to make everything new. Because our story doesn't end at Christmas, does it? Jesus grew up. Hallelujah. He grew up and he went around teaching and demonstrating the kingdom of God. He was crucified for the brokenness and sins of the world. And on the third day, he rose again. And he's here now, present by his spirit. And he will come again to make everything new. Every bit of brokenness, every tear, every bit of suffering, every unanswered question, every bit of knife crime, every bit of cancer. He heal it all. That's the hope that we pin ourselves on. Not an idea or a philosophy, but on Jesus Christ, the person, the man, Mary's child. That's what we pin our hope on. And it is a sure and certain hope.
I want to suggest today that if Advent isn't as much about us drawing close to God in his nearness by his spirit and living the kind of lives, the hope-filled lives that Christians are called to live, believing that he's actually going to come back, unless we do that, folks, I want to suggest today that Christmas is hopeless. What gives Christmas hope is that the story doesn't end. The story is being written right now. Many people this Advent can talk about Christmas. Many people and schools can put on nativity plays, and many of them will be wonderful, I'm sure. I've got nothing against nativity plays. But only the church, only the church, only the followers of the risen Jesus can speak hope. Do you recognize that in yourself as, even as we approach Advent? Do you recognize that responsibility, that hope that you carry in Christ Jesus? Only you can speak that into this season. No John Lewis advert can do that. No Netflix original Christmas movie can do that. I promise you. Only the church. Only the church. And I want to be full of that hope. I want to live as though the things we sing about and the things I preach about and the things I read about in the Bible are actually true. That I actually believe them coming full circle back to our friend St. Martin of Tours. I want to be like St. Martin. You know, the truth is that, that we, we sometimes elevate saints and heroes to the faith to a, an improper place. I mean, it's amazing. We're inspired by them. But you know, God's call on every single Christian is that they would become a saint. Every single Christian in the church. Do you know what saints are? Saints are ordinary people that live their lives as if Jesus was actually real and as if he's coming back. Saints are just people that took God at his word. That's all they are. There's no shortcuts. There were people that invested themselves in prayer, that longed for, for, for community, that gave themselves to, to worship and to bread and to wine. That's all saints are. People that take Jesus at his word, and that's the invitation for you and me tonight. I want to suggest to you tonight, you have the opportunity to be a saint. This advent to draw close to God, to realign your deepest longings with the longings of the Father. That is the invitation this evening. And we're going to have a load of amazing carol services, aren't we? They're going to be great. We're going to have such an opportunity um, this, this month to, to tell this story of hope that is, that is being written right now and Jesus is inviting every person in our city into. We're going to have amazing opportunities to do that. But as whilst we're inviting our friends and other people, I want to ask the question tonight, what is Jesus' invitation to us right now? What is Jesus' invitation to us right now? Could it be this Advent? that God could cultivate a hunger within us, a longing for his presence that would define our entire year. Remember, we're at the beginning of the year. Is it possible that God can do that? Of course it is. Of course it is. Will we step into it this evening?